Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to be reading one verse, chapter 17, here in a minute. Uh, The title of tonight's message is Mind Games. It's part of a bigger series that's entitled Signs of Being in a Spiritual Battle and How to Win. How to Win. Through Christ we win, but there's a specific path that he wants us to take in order to experience the victory that he's provided for us. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The phrase helmet of salvation, what does that represent? What does it represent in the word of God? Everything that Jesus came to provide through his life, his death, and his resurrection is all summed up in that phrase, helmet of salvation. Now, we're acquainted with helmets in sporting activities, and it's usually the last piece of equipment that an athlete would put on. Uh, football players would put on all their pads, and then before they step onto the gridiron, they would put their helmet on. Their helmet is a very important piece of the equipment that allows them to perform, allows, and it protects them. Well, we can say the same thing about hockey, baseball, you know, field hockey or lacrosse, you know, so these sports that we're accustomed to and, you know, we watch these athletes perform, they're protected by a helmet because they're in a battle, they're in a war, and they have an opponent. And so they want to protect one of the most important parts of them being an athlete, and that is the ability to use their intelligence to play the game well. We talk a lot about an athlete's IQ, the ability to understand how to play a game, how to play it in a certain pace, at a certain rhythm, and to know where to be in certain places so that they can score or win or make a basket or do any of those things. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. You know, God has given us a sound mind, the ability to have a sound mind. He has given us his word, which is able to renew and to help our minds think differently than the ways of the world so that we can be in the right position. We can understand how to win. We can know where to go and what to do. And so the Word of God is so wonderful when it uses these types of descriptive phrases to help us understand the helmet of salvation, once again, is everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. Say it again, everything. Everything that Jesus came to provide through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So if we could sum it up, the word salvation is the word from soterio, soterio or sozo, which is a very powerful word in the Greek language. It means to save from the penalty and the power of sin. Jesus, because of his life and his death and his triumphant resurrection, has given us Soterio, sozo, salvation, and that means that he not only provided the power, he has released us from the penalty of sin. So sin no longer has power over us, and we're no longer under the bondage of sin because of Jesus Christ. The word salvation also implies God's welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, and safety. So it's a it's an all-inclusive word within the framework of God's plan and purpose for humanity. So let's go over this again because uh, this foundation is so important for us to understand the rest of the message that I'm going to be sharing tonight. 
So salvation is God's plan. He initiated it and consummated it through his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was here doing the will of the Father, part of that was to demonstrate who his Father was, to teach who his Father was, but it was also to fulfill the will of the Father, which was Jesus himself going to the cross and suffering for the sins of humanity so that we could be released from the power and the penalty of sin. We were in bondage to sin, or we could say we were in bondage to darkness. Another way to say it is we were in bondage to Satan. We were in bondage, but Jesus came to set the captives free. And so part of what he provided for us was freedom or life or liberty through his life, death, and resurrection. He triumphed, and now we are saved from the penalty and the power of sin. Sin no longer or Satan no longer or darkness no longer has a grip or a rule over us because of Christ's rule and reign in our heart. Now, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of Christians that don't understand this, that don't know this, and therefore they just continue to live in bondage and in captivity. They don't understand the phrase helmet of salvation and all that it represents and all that it's done for us and because of that the enemy can take advantage of people and he is one who loves to do that so when we think about God's salvation would you say this with me it's God's welfare it's his prosperity his deliverance his preservation and his safety That is the salvation of God. That's soterio. That's sozo. So why is the helmet of salvation so valuable when it comes to defeating the devil? What makes this helmet such an important part of us winning in Christ? Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, you're going to understand why. This was a concern that the Apostle Paul had for believers. And I think if the Apostle Paul had this concern many years ago, I think it's something that we should pay attention to. Here's a very mature father of the faith, uh, uh, one who, who was a, a pioneer in, in establishing churches, raising up leaderships, identifying the call and the grace on people's life. And if he was concerned about something, we shouldn't take these words lightly. Would you, would you agree with, with that? It would be like an elder or it would be like someone in your family that you respected who had, who had lived a long and a very fruitful life and they came to you with these words. I am concerned. I am, I am concerned. I'm fearful. Those words would get our attention because of the person who was communicating them to, to us. So listen to what the apostle Paul says here. He says, for I fear, I'm concerned. I have, I have this weight or this burden, lest somehow, in some way, in some form or some manner, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Now, who is the serpent? The devil. Everybody say the devil. So we're identifying the subject matter here. He said, I, I have this, I have this concern for you, this fear that somehow, just as the serpent deceived Eve by his what? What's the next word there? 
craftiness. Everybody say craftiness. Say it again, craftiness. That means that he has, the, the, another way the Apostle Paul put it is, he is, he's a schemer and he has, and, and he put it this phrase, the wiles of the devil. Be aware of the wiles, the plans, the schemes, the craftiness of this prince of darkness. And then he says, why? Why? So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Notice that devil wants to do something to our minds. He wants our minds to become corrupted. From what? From the simplicity that's in Christ. He, he doesn't want our life to become simpler. He wants your life to become more complex. He wants your life to be more complicated. He wants you to believe that becoming a Christian has made your life more challenging, more difficult, more burdensome. And nothing could be the truth. Why? Because God has provided salvation. And what is salvation? It's his welfare. It's his prosperity. It's his deliverance. It's his preservation. It's his safety. So that means that serving God is more beneficial than serving darkness or the devil. Would you agree with that? But the devil is so crafty that he wants to introduce corrupt thoughts, corrupt ways into our mind to try to convince us that the simplicity of Christ really isn't all that simple. That's what he did to Eve. That's how he got Eve to partake of the apple. God made it so simple. Here's this beautiful garden. All your needs are provided. Everything that you would ever need is fully given unto you. You're clothed in the glory of God. You're not even aware of your own nakedness because of the presence and the glory of God. You're not even conscious about your own physical nakedness. And there was only one thing he asked them not to do. Only one thing the Lord asked them not to do. And it's the one thing that the devil told them. God was holding out on them. God was keeping something from them. And if they partook of that, right, that their life would be better. Did it get more complicated or simpler when they sinned? It got more complicated. It really got more challenging. It got more difficult. So when we're talking about mind games, we're talking about someone called the devil who is wily in his ways, who is a deceiver, who's crafty. We can see all of these things. And if he can get us, if he can get us, you know, metaphorically to bite the apple by introducing corrupt thoughts to our mind, he can get us to move away from the simple faith that we need to have in Christ. The childlike faith that's so valuable and so important for our well-being and that causes us to experience victory, that causes us to experience the provision of God. So if the devil can keep us, this is where I get this statement. If the devil can keep us in the realm of reasoning, he can keep us in captivity. He can hold us captive. He can keep us in bondage. But if we can hold the devil in the realm of faith, we can triumph over him through Christ Jesus. And it's only through Christ that we can triumph. Let me give you an example. People often say when they've been hurt or they've experienced injustices in life, 
that I have a reason to be offended, I have a reason to be angry, I have a reason to be resentful, I have a reason to be bitter, I have a reason to feel sorry for myself, I have a reason not to forgive. Have those thoughts ever come to you when you've experienced an injustice or a hurt, when you've been let down, when someone didn't keep their word? Have you ever felt like, I have a reason If you knew what they did to me, you would understand the reason why I have a right or a reason to be offended, angry, resentful, etc. Have those thoughts ever come to you? Does that make your life simpler or more challenging? More challenging. Makes it more difficult. Yes. The reality is we may have reasons But we don't have rights as a Christian to justify those reasons. When we refuse to forgive, here's the analogy. When we refuse to forgive, the word forgive in Scripture means release. When we refuse to forgive or release others as we have been forgiven or released by God from our sins and trespasses, our minds become corrupted from the simplicity or the singleness that is in Christ. The word simple or simplicity in Scripture means to be of one mind, to be singular in thought, in purpose, or in direction. Well, if you're singular in your thought or your purpose, then isn't that a lot easier path not to get confused? Because Scripture says what? A double-minded man is what? unstable in how many of his ways? All. See, the more variables you and I enter into our life, the more instability we could enter into our life. Now, here's here's the tricky part. We all have the ability to reason. We all have the ability to think. We all have the ability to process something, correct? I mean, God's given us a mind. But we have to use this mind now as Christians to glorify the Lord. We have to. If we allow ourselves to entertain thoughts of bitterness, unforgiveness, resentfulness, self-pity, then it's going to be unhealthy in our relationships. Jesus likened this condition in our mind to being in a prison. That's the analogy that he used. And, and that's a strong analogy. And what he said is, you're, you're in this self-imposed prison. You're, you're, that's where you are. So if you can relate to this illustration, and this is one of many that, that, I, could, that I could use, but I think it's one that, that I think is so apropos. I, I was reading um, after... A Gall- well, it wasn't a Gallup poll, it was a Pew poll uh, that they were doing across Christendom. And, uh, and they, were, they were asking, uh, like, people that had, were gathering, let's say you went to a Joyce Meyer uh, convention, or, um, and I think Jensen Franklin uh, is having some conventions right now. Uh, I was trying, uh, David Jeremiah, and... So the pew pollsters are there as these large groups of people come in. They're asking them entry and exit questions. And then, and from that data, they're just putting out information for, for ministers to, 
to uh, sort of, you know, look at and, and understand the overall condition uh, within the body of Christ. So here was, here's the latest category. 80%, ever say 80%. 80% of the people that were polled at these conventions said they have trouble with forgiveness, resentment, bitterness, anger, unresolved relational issues. 80% of the body of Christ's life has become more complicated because they've moved away from the simplicity of Christ. Somehow this seed of bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment has allowed it, they've allowed it to corrupt their minds. And now they're in the process potentially of entering into the same place of deception that Eve did in the garden. See how crafty the enemy is? He'll give you ten reasons why it's okay. But as a Christian, we have to know that the reasons still don't justify the end or the means. That we have a right to serve the Lord and that's what we exercise ourselves to do. Our rights is what we need to be aware of. And our rights are to forgive as we've been forgiven, to love as we've been loved. And, and I know that can be challenging. You know, I, I've shared the illustration and, or the story in my life before that uh, when, when I was uh, 17, my older brother, he's a stepbrother, got married. And then uh, after the wedding, he and his bride are on their way to Wichita, Kansas, and they're going to get on a plane and go on their honeymoon. And I had a classmate coming back from, uh, from Wichita to Hutchinson, Kansas, and two-lane highway on Inman Road, and he'd been drinking, lost control of his vehicle, hit my brother and his wife head-on. They were married for two hours, and Tom was killed. This was a classmate of mine. Everything within me wanted to go beat Donnie White with a baseball bat. Everything within me, except there was this knowing that would be the worst thing in the world I could do. That knowing was the love of God. That knowing was greater than the corruption that was trying to enter into my mind, into my thought life. So what I did was I sought counsel. I got with my pastor. I had people pray with me. And then there came a day not long after Tom's death that I went and I sought Donnie out, knowing that Donnie was in a horrible place. I couldn't bring Tom back. There was no bringing Tom back. And I remember, instead of taking a baseball bat to Donnie White's house, I took mercy. He was a classmate. Did I have a lot of reasons? Oh, I I had a laundry list of reasons. But I had been forgiven much. Those are things that haunt people. Those are things that make people's lives difficult. Those are the things that Jesus came to get us out of prison. He doesn't want us to live in captivity. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. He wants us to be able to go forward. And yes, you know, sometimes going forward is just a small step, but at least 
it's a step. So I want to just continue because I have some great scriptures that I want to read. So here's a uh, here's a question. How do I get out of this prison of reasoning and move over into the realm of faith and experience the victory that Christ has for me? So before I answer that question, I believe there's another question we need to consider. How do I know if I'm unhealthy in an unhealthy or a toxic place in my own mind? And here's here's the the easiest way that I can summarize that if any of us, if any of us are concerned about the illustration that I'm giving is this, we forget everything good. That's how you know when corruption, that is what happens when our minds become corrupt from the simplicity of Christ. We forget, we forget how good the Lord was to us and therefore we have a hard time forgiving as we have been forgiven. When you and I allow the enemy to plant a seed of corruption in our mind towards another person, and we begin to justify it and rationalize it and reason it, and we forget everything that's good, then we're not in a good place. And there was a time where when I thought of, of Donnie White, there wasn't one good thought that came to my mind. And that's why I know that what I'm sharing with you tonight is so true and so impactful because it brought me out of a really dark place. It brought me out of a, a really dangerous place spiritually in my life. So this is why I'm just sort of asking questions and trying to answer them because it doesn't matter if it's a small offense or a big offense, it still creates complications for our life and not simplicity. So let's get back to how do I get out of prison, the prison of reasoning and going over into the realm and getting over into the realm of faith and experiencing victory in Christ. Here's the, here's the answer. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of that salvation. Just like the enemy is trying to get us forget to forget all that is good, that's what corruption does. If something is corrupted, it's no longer good or valuable. It no longer has purpose. And so we can just toss it aside. Think about that illustration. Think about the specific words that Scripture uses. If something is corrupt, we discard it. Have you ever discarded a relationship because you thought it was just Corrupt? What if it was redeemable? What if it could be restored? What if it could be recovered? But you have to be able to see the good in it. You know, it, it, uh, people that deal with antiques or, or restore vehicles or, or old pieces of furniture, to some people, it's just corrupted. Throw it away. To someone who sees good in it, it has potential. It has possibility. It just needs a little bit of work. It needs some investment. It needs some time. It's going to take some patience. And that's what the Lord helps us to do. He helps us to remember things are a lot, keep things a lot more simpler. Keep them simple. 
So put on the helmet of a salvation. And remember, there's four things I want you to remember. You guys ready? Remember God's command. Remember God's command. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And what's the next phrase? With all your mind. Remember, we're talking about mind games. The games that the devil wants to play in your mind, in my mind. The corrupt thoughts he wants to plant there. So that we move away from what? The simplicity of Christ. He wants to deceive us like he deceived Eve. This is the first and the great commandment, Jesus said. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Number two, remember God's promises. Isaiah 26.3, you'll love this. Says you, talking about the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Notice where our mind needs to be in order to experience the peace of God. So is God the author of confusion or the author of peace? The author of peace. And how does that peace begin to manifest in your life and my life? When we keep our mind on him. All right, I want you, number three, to remember God's appeal or his invitation. And there's many of them, but I just picked one out of Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. Talking about our mind and how valuable our mind is in this battle, this spiritual war that all of us are engaged in. Let this mind, that means we have to permit it, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, or that really means who was God in nature, God by nature, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, listen, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So I want you to remember God's command that we're called to love him with our mind. If your mind is not filled with thoughts that are pleasing to the Lord, we need to, right? Replace those thoughts with better thoughts. What about God's promises? God's promises is he's the God of peace. The God of peace. What about God's appeal? God's appeal is permit or let this mind be in you. Get to the place that you adopt and accept it. And then the last is remember God's process. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Very familiar portion of scripture. The apostle Paul making a, a grand, grand, he's, he's almost begging the church at Rome. I beseech you therefore, brethren, he's talking to Christians, by the mercies of God. In other words, it was the mercy of God that was calling him to call out to them. He was, it was an act of mercy, God's mercy. And he says that you, that's the understood subject matter, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Another translation said, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed, metamorphosis, 
by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove and test what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So we need to love the Lord, first of all, with all of our mind. We need to keep in mind the promise of God, that we need to keep our mind stayed on Him. We need to uh, uh, permit or let the mind that was in Christ become our mindset. And we, we need to remember the process. Everybody say renewing. renewing. Renewing means it might take a little time. You know, it took a little time for me to show up at Donnie White's door. It didn't happen the day after the accident, but it happened. It happened. And it happened because, you know, there were some things that other people helped me to remember There were things that I started to permit into my life. There were things that I began to judge and get rid of. There, there was, there was a responsibility that, that I had and then there was a compelling compassion that other people had, like the Apostle Paul is when he's saying to the Romans and he's saying, it's, I, I am coming to you and just out of the, the deepest bowels of mercy, I'm just, I'm compelling you and asking you, please, Do something with your mind. If you don't, what he was concerned about can become a reality. What was the Apostle Paul concerned about? We would be deceived. And in that deception, through the crafty work of the enemy, corruption would enter into our mind and and Christ and serving Christ wouldn't be simple anymore. So to the degree that our minds are renewed with God's word is the degree in which we can prove or test the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God for our lives. It starts with good and it goes to perfect. That's just who God is. So getting back to our illustration, you might be asking now, so how fast can forgiveness take place? (laughs) How fast can forgiveness take place? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, the old King James says, if you have ought, ought is an interesting word in the Greek. It means the smallest offense, the smallest of offenses. Like the preacher didn't shake my hand going out of church today. That's just sort of a, you know, a little easy one to grab. Or, or I was driving down the street and I know they saw me and they didn't wave. But we're convinced they saw us. Can be as as innocent as that. And if we're not careful, the enemy will take that little seed, that little molehill, and want to turn it into a mountain. And how does he do it? He gets us to adopt a corrupt thought to deceive us. And when we do so, we move away from Christ and how simple he wants to make our life. So notice what he says. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Why? That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So I I, I want to illustrate this. So Jesus said, when you stand praying. So all I want you to do is stand up. Because we're answering the question, how fast can forgiveness happen? That fast. And you can be seated. And so I'm going to illustrate this again. So now you guys are ready for a cue. So Jesus said, when you stand praying, everybody stand. That's how fast forgiveness can happen. 
You want to know why I believe that? Because that's how fast God forgave me. The moment that I stood and prayed and said, God, forgive me. God, have mercy on me. It was removed from my account just like that. And he said, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Why? Because God is the perfect example of what he wants us to mirror to humanity. Do offenses come? Injustices, hurts, wounds, yes. Are we disappointed, let down? Yeah, so stand and pray. And every time you stand and pray, right, you experience the goodness of God. And somebody else does too. You can be seated. And I'm going to close by reading 1 John 1, nine. It says, if we confess our sins, notice he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do I do if a negative thought persists? There's another great question, isn't it? I mean, you know, I stood and, and I forgave and, and yet all of these emotions and these feelings, you know, still sort of resonate. Stand and pray again. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, cast down those imaginations, those accusations and every, every thought, make it a, make it captive to the will of God. So, yeah, those thoughts may come. You may want to start processing and, and reasoning again. But all you're doing and all I'm doing when I do that is making our life more complex, more complicated. When Jesus forgive, forgave the woman that was caught in adultery, he just basically said, you're forgiven. Where's your accusers? There's none here. And then he just said, hey, go, you're free, you're released. And as you go, just don't don't enter into this lifestyle again. Don't permit yourself to commit sin in this manner anymore. And the freedom that he gave her probably produced such life and liberty that she she never wanted to go back to something that was so dishonoring to God. She just probably honored God just like those that have been Forgiven much, love much. When you understand the debt that Jesus forgave you of, then it's not that challenging to forgive others of their debt, is it? And that's the prayer of the Lord, that we forgive as we've been forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. So I want to sum this up by saying, well, I've used forgiveness to illustrate the significance of the helmet of salvation. And I shared with you why. That's a, that's a concerning number. 80% of the body of Christ is struggling with this very subject matter. God's own people. I also could have used healing and health, ties and offerings, faith and patience. I could have used fear as an illustration, submission and authority, you know, any biblical subject matter. But when we put on the helmet of salvation, we will begin to experience God's welfare, God's prosperity, his deliverance, his preservation, and his safety. So what's the value of the helmet of salvation? Well, how valuable is Jesus to you? Because he's your salvation. And that's how we win when the devil is trying to play mind games. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.